So I was thinking about Joshua, the, the story in, in the end of the Old Testament, or in the Old Testament, Joshua. At the end of the book of Joshua, the nation is gathered. And Joshua asked them a question as a nation. He asked, he asked them as individuals, but, but as a nation together, as, a, as, a, as God's people, individually and collectively. And, and he says to them this, this question. He says, choose. I guess it's more of a statement. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. And then he goes on to say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And they're like, we, they, they choose the God of the Bible. They choose the God of the Bible. But, but at the heart of, of what we're talking through today as we go through um, what we're going to be talking about, it, there is a, there's an, an overarching question about choosing this day whom you will serve. Choosing this day. Uh, so today we're, we're getting back into our study in the book of Revelation. We are looking at the great revealing of Jesus, how incredible he is, how incredible that he, um, how incredible he, he shows himself that he will be uh, at the end of time. And, and this book reveals to us how we're going to get from here to there. How we're going to get from here a, a generation, a, a people, who a, a world that mostly mocks God, that mostly hates God, that mostly mocks God's people and God's people's ways, their way of thinking, and mocks people for believing in the Bible, believing in this invisible God, believing that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, where, where we get mocked for believing God's word and, and holding to it. Um, uh, how are we going to get from here, this generation, to there? To there, where, where, where every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth, the sea and everything that is in it, is worshiping God, God the Father and Jesus the Lamb. So we're seeing, as we go through this book, how we're going to get from here to there. We're also, uh, we're also getting this great curtain, looking behind the curtain reveal at what's really going on behind, behind what we see. And we see this extraordinary spiritual battle taking place between, between the enemy of God, uh, Lucifer, and, and his, his agenda, and, and the God of the Bible. And so we see this great um, uh, angelic and demonic war and this great battle between the enemy and uh, the, the dragon of old and, and Jesus, the lamb who was slain. And we see that in, because of this war, um, things on earth are greatly impacted, greatly uh, greatly. Um, yeah, greatly changed, and, and, and expl it explains what we're seeing. Today we're going to be studying uh, Babylon, and we're going to be looking at, at Babylon in chapters 17, 18, and 19, uh, but before we get there, I want to I remind you of one verse that Jesus says. And, I, and as I say this verse, I want you to hold on to it as we go through this whole look, uh, study on, on Babylon. I want, because I believe that if we grasp these words, if we grasp and apply what Jesus says here, it will greatly help us navigate the days that we're going to be talking about, connected to the rise and fall of Babylon. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says this in, in Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters, since he, he will either hate, the, hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Now, previous to this, Jesus had just talked about storing up treasures in heaven, uh, not treasures on earth. After this, he's going to talk about how don't worry about your life. What are you going to eat or what are you going to drink or what you're going to wear? Pagans worry about that. The people who don't trust God worry about that. You, God knows, you, God, God can be trusted. You can, you can trust him. You don't worry about that. Your heavenly father will, will, will take care of you. But this, this sense of, of you, you, no one can serve two masters. Now, in, in, this case, in this situation, you cannot serve both God and money. It doesn't say you cannot have both God and money. It's about serving. It's about your ultimate trust. Where is your hope? You cannot put your, you cannot put your allegiance to two things. You have to choose where your ultimate allegiance is. It's not about half, it's where's your allegiance. So anyways, we, we, have, this, we have this message from Jesus. You can't serve two masters. Um, it it reminded me, um, I saw on Friday after I'd written this message, uh, I saw on Instagram a quote, so <clears throat> it's totally awesome because on Instagram, Marshall Seagal, he, he said, he, he hit this pretty significantly when it comes to us and believers. It's just like he hit it. Uh, and, and it's not going to be on the screen because, again, I'd already written the me message before I ran across this. But um, Marshall Seagal says, a lot of us want to keep God close enough to save us, but far enough away to let us do what we want to do. Just say it again. A lot of us want to, want to, a lot of us want to keep God close enough, close enough to save us, but far enough away to let us do what we want to do to do. Ah. Now I want you to take, hold on to this thought. If you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve, your ultimate allegiance can only be to one. Into, as we, as we talk about Babylon today, um, we're going to talk about the, the glory of Babylon, the attractiveness of Babylon, the seductiveness of, of Babylon, the repulsiveness of Babylon, and, and the fall of Babylon, the great prostitute, as we read in, in chapter 17. So I'm going to be starting reading there, uh, Revelation chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 1, the words are going to be on the screen, we're going to, we're going to have a great time, Babylon Sunday everybody, woohoo! <clears throat> then one of the seven angels who had the seven, book, seven bowls came and spoke with me, come I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Then he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. I saw a woman seated on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Now, although we've seen Babylon appear twice in our study, once in chapter 14, once in chapter 16, it was just referenced, and, and it wasn't explained. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Babylon and, and what it is. Babylon is basically the very opposite of the bride of Christ. It's the anti-bride. It's the most opposite of faithful and pure, faithful to God, pure before God. It, it, is, it is the most opposite of that. 
Babylon is, is described as the this great seductress, the, the, um, the great enticer for humanity away from God, away from God. Why is the great prostitute called Babylon? Now, now this, is, this is a good question to ask. Because in John's day, Babylon was nothing, literally nothing. It was, it was a completely abandoned thing in the desert. There, there nothing, nobody lived there. It was completely abandoned. And yet referring to this as, uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's day, remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, they were there. I don't know if you had those little songs. Um, so yeah, in that day, Babylon was thriving in Nebuchadnezzar's day. That's about 700 years before John's writing the book of Revelation. And then, and then after that, the, the Persians take over the handwriting on the wall day. With, with Belshazzar, the, the handwriting wall, the Persians take over. Uh, Alexander the Great comes and takes over Babylon later. He dies there. He dies in the city. That's like 323 or something like that. And then um, after, after he dies, his four generals go to war. And they, 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 they divide up his empire. That makes it sound like it was all, hey, let's just draw lines on a map. What do you want? Let's, huh. Okay, now it was, it was, it was scary. And then the people in Babylon, they fled. They fled for their lives. So many of them did. Not everybody, but most of them fled for their lives. And, and Babylon was never the same after that. Um, but, but there were some people there. Uh, but, but in the year 275 BC, uh, basically all the remaining people in Babylon were, were just moved out. You're now in this city. And they just removed them all. And, and then Babylon was empty. You, you get to the, the rise of the Parthenian Empire uh, in 141 BC, and, and Babylon is just nothing. It's just dirt. It's, it's, just, uh, it's just dust. And that's 250 years before John writes this book. So, so write, uh, he's writing about Babylon the Great, which is a, is, which is a desert nothingness. Desert nothingness. So why is this great prostitute called Babylon when, when the city is nothing in John's day? That's because John is not talking at all about a location, but a, a demonic, globally impacting reality. A, 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 a demonic spirit behind Babylon as it once was. And that demonic spirit was alive and well in John's day. It's going to continue to be until it's finally thrown down at the end. We are introduced to this, this spirit, Babylon. We're, we're introduced to Babylon in chapter 11 of, of Genesis, the, the Tower of Babel. What, what is, what is um, how do you remember Genesis 11? Genesis chapter 11, Babel, Tower of Babel, right? See, see how that? There you go. You'll never forget. Uh, so, so you got Genesis chapter 11, the founding of Babylon, and that founding of Babylon is the first organized rebellion against God by people, Babylon. The first organized rebellion against God by people. In, individuals had rebelled, but this is the time where they said, okay, let's not scatter as God has commanded. Let's gather together in opposition to what God has said, and we know that. What? Uh, and, and then, let's not try that again. What? Wait, wait, wait. Jesus? No. Uh, so... Uh, don't send my message. What do you stop? Stop! 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 Well, that's awesome. Not awesome. Okay, so you're Babylon, and this 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 situation where where all the people in Babylon have have re, have chosen to reject God's commands, and they've gathered together to build a tower, a worship center that's not about God, that's not about worshiping God, and and in their own words, they say. Instead of, instead of doing God's will in God's way, they say, let us make a name for ourselves. 
Genesis chapter 11. Let us make a name for ourselves. And, and that heart, that ethos is right behind the, the, uh, Babylon from the beginning. The, the allure of the great prostitute Babylon is to feed and to fuel our, our desires for a great us, a great self, a great, a, great, um, a, a great focus on our will, our ways, to be about our desires, our, our riches, our, 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 our happiness, whatever we want, whilst completely rejecting what God wants. And that's the key. The key is rejecting what God wants is what sets us apart. For example... What does God want for us when it comes to sex and purity and marriage? Babylon says, who cares? What do you want? Don't worry about what God says and what God wants. What do you want? Doesn't that sound better? Let's do that. Let, let, let's do that instead of what, what God wants. When, when it comes to, to, to money and, and offerings, like, wait, what? Wait, what? Offerings give give money to God. Like you only have this much, and God wants you to give. Balance says, "I got a I got a better idea. Why don't you not give away your money to God? Don't you like that idea? And, and instead, why don't you cut corners on integrity and godliness and try and make as much as possible? And don't worry about anybody else. Live for yourself. Try and cut, be cutthroat. Get as much as you as you can possibly get. Um, have all the money and success that you can that you can somehow uh, put together. Don't do. Don't live godly in order to get there. Cut corners. Be mean to people. All that kind of stuff. Again, that, that, that's the temptation of the generation. Don't listen to God's ways about how to live or, or offerings and said, what, what do you want? Don't you want to be, have more? Spirit of Babylon is alive and well in our, our generation. Babylon represents uh, the, the fall of human culture in all its glory and appeal. And, and, it, and its achievement and its possibility, it's, it's demonic. It's this global demonic spirit that's impacting the nations, seducing people, and when it has its most influence, it's able to put to death um, the saints of God, the, the Christians. Now, again, demon, demons are real. Demons are real. Um, last week, uh, you might have been here, and you might have felt a little spooked. Uh, it like, and we had, a, we had a demonic manifestation in, in this place, in this room, and, and um, some of you are like, wait, what? What is happening? What is, what is this? And um, so what we've decided to do is we're going to teach on it on Wednesday night, and I'm going to do just a, a, an introduction to the demons and, and their activity in the world today and their impact. And I've kind of realized over the last couple of years um, where we used to be as a church when it came to just understanding where the demonic was and kind of where we're at today, we kind of need to rebuild a little bit. So I would like to invite you to, to come out on Wednesday night, 7.30, and I'll just start talking. Okay, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. I don't want to talk about that day. We've actually been talking about demons pretty much every week over the last several weeks as we've gone through uh, the book of Revelation. But I want to make sure it's, we understand its relevancy right now and today and, and what's going on and, and, and maybe get, get some insight into, okay, what was, what was going on last week? So if you're curious, come along. Um, I'll see you all here. Anyway, so uh, Babylon, Babylon is, is this high, high level of, of demonic spirit. It's nearly global in its influence. And, and I'm going to say more about that, but I want to keep reading about it before I say any more about that. Uh, this is what we read in, in, in verse 7 um, of, of Revelation 17. The angel said to me, why are you astonished? 
I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is is seated. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for only a little while. The beast that was and is not is itself an eighth king, but it belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast, authority to the beast, uh, or, or, sorry, and give their authority, their, give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. You know, duh, that's why he was conquering, because he's Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are, are called chosen and faithful. He also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are the people, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beast will, have, <clears throat> will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the gr- great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. Okay, we've already talked about the beast, so we're not going to talk much about the beast. We, we read about him, same description, chapter 13. Uh, other, the only thing we really learn here is, and it was scarlet, it was red. Uh, but, but basically, you know, we've read about, we talked about the beast in chapter 13. The, what we want to see here is the beast starts off in partnership with and empowering the, the spirit of Babylon, which is seducing the world away from worshiping God towards everything you want instead. Um, the, the seven heads, the seven mountains, obvious, an obvious reference to, to Rome. To Rome. Um, in John's generation, Rome was the seat of power and, and authority and also the home city for the spirit of Babylon. Babylon being just one of the most greatest uh, and most seductive demonic principalities that there's ever been since Genesis chapter 11. The spirit of Babylon, although it started geographically in Babylon, moves. It moves to wherever the, the heart of, of godlessness is, the hedonism, wherever, wherever that is in whatever generation, it, it, it moves. You've seen it a little bit in Egypt, in Assyria, uh, Nineveh in the Bible. You've seen it in Greece. You've seen it in Babylon. You've seen it um, in, in John's day in Rome. Like, where is it currently seated, this, this, this uh, seductress? Is it, is it America? It's, it's, it's hard to think of anything bad coming out of America. Uh, I don't know, New York, L.A., I don't know, uh, Internet, I don't know. But wherever its home resides, its reach is global. It, it, its reach, reach is global, and its, it's, its aim is to seduce you away from trusting God. To seduce you away from trusting God and to, to prioritizing whatever you want and whatever will make you secure. The question that is being asked by Babylon is, don't you want what you want? Don't you want what you want instead of what God wants? Think of, think of Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. So the, the serpent basically says, don't you want to be like God, knowing good from evil? 
Isn't that what, what you want? God is keeping something good from you. He's keeping something good. He's keeping wisdom from you. He's keeping wisdom from you. You're going to be stupider if you, if you don't eat this apple. Or not apple. Fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil fruit. Uh, you're you're going to be stupider if you don't have that. Instead, God, don't, God knows that you're going to have more knowledge. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. Wouldn't you rather disobey God to be more wise? Or would you rather be stupid and trust God? That, that's, the, that's the allure. God, the enemy wants to say God's plan for you is stupid. It's more stupid. Your, God's, uh, your plan for you is, is better. It's better. Church, when it comes to Babylon and, and its enticement, it, it's, it's real. It's so real. You, can't, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot prioritize two things. You can only prioritize one thing. You can only serve one thing. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve God and yourself. You cannot serve uh, God or the things of Babylon. You have to choose where your trust is ultimately going to be. God's people are called to be faithful and, and trusting God, not being seduced by the anti-bride. And the great irony here we see in, 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 this, in this passage is Satan's beast turns, in, uh, turns against the great prostitute, uh, Satan's prostitute. And we discover that the prostitute was a trap. Shouldn't be surprising, but the, tra- the prostitute is a trap that seduced people away from God so that the Antichrist or that beast can, can just take over and people are already away from God, from, from the one who would, could help and protect them. Seducing humanity away so that he can just take over. And then the beast just throws down Babylon and then it starts trampling on God's people and, and goes to war against Jesus and his people. And, and, and who are Jesus' people? The chosen ones. The faithful ones, the, the, those who are faithful, not turning to the ways of Babylon. So when, anyways, when God wants to throw down Babylon, he, he um, in his brilliance, he puts it into the heart of the beast, which shows so much of God's amazing sovereignty, right? That you've got Satan's beast, Satan's empowered beast, and yet God puts it into its heart to turn against Babylon and to destroy it. These are not equals. The war is unfair. God will win. He, 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 he's the supreme, the supreme one. And when he, so he wants to throw down Babylon, he, he gets them to turn against each other. And, and this is what happens when Babylon is actually thrown down. Verse, chapter 18, verse 1. After I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven and, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor, he called out in a mighty voice, it has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Then I heard another voice from heaven, come out, from, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. Church, this is to believers. Come out of Babylon. Come out 
of Babylon. Don't share in the ways of Babylon. Don't, 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 don't try and serve two masters. Don't try and walk some sort of fence. It's not going to work. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and God saying, come out so that you won't share in the sins of, not, of trusting something other than God. You won't share in the sins of self-sufficiency and trusting in, in, in yourself. One of the great questions we read about Babylon is, am I in any danger as a Christian? Yes. Babylon is, a, is an extraordinary seductress, a temptress. Powerful. That enticement is real and powerful. And, and God's call to believers is to get out. To get out. For, verse 5, for her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Pay her back the way she is also paid and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed makes a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see grief. For this reason, her plagues will come in just one day. Death and grief and famine should be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Again, no matter how pervasive this seems, one day, thrown down. God is able to do anything quickly. The kings of the earth, verse 9, who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, whoa, whoa, the, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, and fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, and all kinds of fragrant wood, wood products, uh, objects of ivory, objects of, of expensive wood, brass, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine, but no one's buying wine and olive oil, fine, fine flour and grain. Cattle, uh, grain, I blame the gluten-free. Uh, cattle, vegans, sheep, horses, carriages, and slaves, human lives. The fruit you craved has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city dressed in fine, fine linen, purple, and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And every shipmaster, seafarer, and sailors, all who do business by the sea, stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, Who is like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning. Whoa, whoa, the great city where, where all those who have... Ships on the, on the sea became rich from her wealth, for in a single hour she was destroyed. Rejoice over her heaven and your, you saints, apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpist musicians Flautists, flaut, 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 flautists, flautists, 
flautists, I'll go with that, flautists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and a bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants were with the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all those slaughtered on the earth. There's a lot we could say there, but there's only one thing I'm really going to point out. There are two responses to the sudden collapse of Babylon, the fall of this global financial uh, riches, luxury, the fall of self-focused excessiveness. The response to everyone who is joined with Babylon and whose, whose trust is in Babylon and not in God, whose trust is in Babylon, their response is, we saw it over and over again, weeping, Mourning, fear, fear, agony, grief, grief, because all of their, their hopes and dreams and the places that they put their hope for their jobs, for their lives, for their professions, for their provision had collapsed and it was all misplaced. They wanted all the promises of Babylon and, and, and so they weep and they, they, they mourn and they're, now they're afraid. What now will we do? How, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? All the ways that they were going to be provided for have, have, have been thrown down. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their income. They've lost their self-sufficiency. And they're terrified because where they place their trust uh, is gone. But in contrast, how are God's people how are God's people, his chosen people, his faithful people, who have chosen where they're going to place their trust, where, how are they to react when, with the fall of the global financial markets? Or how are they to respond when the economies collapse, when jobs uh, are lost? When, when, how are they supposed to respond when, when everything seems to be falling apart, those who actually trust God? Well, if their trust is, first of all, in God, First of all, in God, this is how they were to trust. We read it in verse 20. Rejoice is the call for God's people. Rejoice over her heaven and you saints, that's, that's everyone who believes in Jesus, apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. So the command is to rejoice, and that's what happens. That's what they do in, in chapter 19. It says, after this, I heard something like a, the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, which means let us praise the Lord, Yahweh, Hall praise yeah, Yahweh, let us praise, praise the Lord, um, hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his Judgments are true and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, praise the Lord, hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, may it be, hallelujah, praise the Lord. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants, and the ones who fear him, both small and great. 
Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like, like the rumbling of, of a, a loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God the Almighty reigns. That's the only time the word hallelujah appears in the New Testament, those four moments, by the way. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, so opposite of the prostitute. This is the bride of Jesus. Uh, then he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm a, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, so those who, who are connected to Babylon, uh, they, they weep. They, they weep, they, they weep and they, they, they mourn, but those who are faithful to Jesus, who haven't been seduced to put their trust in anything other than God, they are rejoicing and they're praising God because, because the, the prostitute is thrown down and now it's the time for the bride, the faithful bride. Now I want to make one comment here, one comment here connected to these chapters. When the world systems are collapsing, when the economy is collapsing, when the riches of the nations are collapsing, uh, when your personal finances are, are collapsing, when governments are collapsing, when, when jobs are, are collapsing, when, when your job is, is, is collapsing, may it never be. But when everything is collapsing, how are we, as God's people who trust in him, supposed to respond? Answer, the exact opposite to what is natural and what everybody else does. The exact opposite of how everyone else does. They, they read the news with fear, with, with fear and anxiety about the world events and uncertainties, but we do not. We, we don't. We, we respond with faith in the one that we've trusted because we have chosen to serve the trustworthy one, God. We, we live with a joyful, peaceful presence while things in the world collapse. And while the world is afraid, we live differently. We live with joy, rejoicing. For example, I'm not worried at all about Brexit. Not at all. Not at all. I'm not worried. I read the news every day. I, I read the news every day. It's, it's amazing how, how different it is every day. <laughs> um, so, so I re and I'm very aware of, of what's happening, and I'm not blind to the potential impact in, in, our, in our city and nation and in this church and in my life. And I'm not, I'm not blind to all the possibilities. I mean, they've really laid it out clearly throughout the last uh, many months and, and all the, this, this stuff. But I'm not worried about it because my, my hope for provision... My hope for happiness, my, 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 my ultimate trust isn't in our government or in our economy, but it's in God. Now that's easy to say, but, but, but living with peace while things are falling apart isn't just a good idea. It is a sign. It is a witness. 
It is part of your testimony that you actually genuinely believe with all of your life that God can be trusted with you and your future. It's how you prove what you believe. It's like in Philippians 1.28, which talks about not being frightened in any way. Not being frightened because it's a sign to them that, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that of by God. That's talking about how we respond to opponents who oppose us. But the same is true when it comes to things connected to Babylon. Not being frightened is a sign that you genuinely believe and you have your, your hope anchored in God as your provider, in God as the trustworthy one, and not in any other kingdom or any other enticement. That, that, that's, where you're, you're, that's where you're anchored. We are called to be a peaceful presence when everyone else is freaking out. It's part of our testimony. God can be trusted. We're called to be a joyful, praising God presence while everyone else is weeping and freaking out because things are clumped. Because we know that God can be trusted and our trust is well placed and he's got it. It's a sign that we know God is, is the great provider, that he's the source of our, our happiness, our hope, our security, and it's not in anything else. It's the days when things clap that our testimony is allowed to shine brightest if... That's where our hope actually is anchored, in God. Now, I, I pray for your government. Pray for our government. Pray for our government, that for, for God's work that the Bible tells us that we'd be rightly and peacefully governed, and, and we want to pray, pray for that. Uh, and yet, we're not going to freak out. Governments come and go. Governments come and go. Um, economies go up and down. Uh, and... And our heart is to seek to trust God in, in wherever our nation goes over this next, this next bit of time. Again, where is your hope? What is it you really want? What is it you really want? God's will being done in our generation, even if it impacts us negatively. Do we want God's will being done? Or do we want, are we trying to do this? I want both what God wants and everything, and my own. You gotta choose your one. If you could have one, what is it? You gotta choose your one. You cannot serve both God and something else. Babylon, money, or anything like that. So the fall of Babylon is a time for us to rejoice. It's a time for us to celebrate. It's a time for praise while the, while the world weeps. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge you today. Um, my challenge is to read and pray through this passage. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, I referred to part of it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, a larger version. And I just wanted you to be praying through this and be like, okay, where is my allegiance? Where is my hope genuinely? I know you know the right answer, but now find out what your heart thinks and then again choose again to either redirect your heart to where you know it should be or just choose to stay. I, as for me and my house, we're going to choose to trust the Lord for provision. Hopefully you'll make that same declaration. Now, if you're, you're far from God and you don't even, you, don't even you, you, you have never trusted God with your life, today is again to choose to choose, am I going to serve God? Am I going to put my trust for my life in Jesus or not?